Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Thanks, Tim. Hello, good evening, everyone. Very good. Um, If we haven't met, my name's Chris. I am the curate here at um, Greyfriars. Yeah, that's that's the name. Um, I have the absolute privilege um, and also task of introducing Romans as a whole to you in a kind of a small window of time called your attention span, um, as well as talk talk through what we just read here in Romans 1, 1 to uh, 17. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to get you to uh, to take out two items. Um, They actually might be the same thing, but I need you to be uh, having a Bible in front of you, otherwise a lot of this won't make sense. So whether that's your phone or a physical Bible, get it out. And then the second one is also your phone. I know much of, many of you would think, you know, oh no, that's a distraction. No, this is going to actually be a tool to help us and, and should help you throughout all the sermon series because I'm going to ask you to play context bingo with me. Um, I'm going to ask you to get out your phone and type into notes or just a blank canvas uh, thing on your, on your device and just type out who, what, when, where, why. Come on, people. Come on. Who? Very good. And again, who? Cool. I'm going to give you a full minute to actually write that out. Because again, it is imperative that you do this, because otherwise I'm going to be talking, it's going to be really boring, because none of you will remember what I'm asking you to remember. I've got a thumbs up here, got a thumbs up here, got a thumbs up there. Oh wow, this is incredible. Okay, I'm going to say that people have it. Who, what, when, where, why. Now, I don't actually want you to play, as in don't shout bingo when you've got these things. But what I do want you to do is actually fill it in. Um, This is just a small way of you actually getting to grips with uh, the basics of what Romans has to offer. It is the context that will help us understand why we are even reading this in the first place who Paul is, what he was going on about, where he was, etc., etc. It really does help because otherwise we will miss so much of what's going on because we don't understand necessarily uh, why these things are being said in the way that they're being said. Yeah? Does everyone get that? Brilliant. Okay, let me just pray to make it all serious before we carry on. Father God, we thank you uh, for this letter. We thank you that you have done immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. Uh, That life with you means being accepted, being transformed, being made righteous, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. Lord, thank you that um, there is nothing we can do that can repay that debt, and yet you don't ask for anything, just our hearts. Lord, would you speak to our hearts today? Would you uh, continue to mould them in your likeness? May we have 
ears to hear your words today. Amen. All right, so keep your phones out. Who, what, when, where, why? Now, the greatest question to ask when you're about to embark on a journey or doing anything is why? So why did Paul write this letter? What is going on here? Paul had two reasons for writing this letter. The first is that he hoped to visit them. And the second is that he wanted to bring about unity within the community of Jewish and Gentile Christians in Rome. See, at the time of writing this letter, he was near Corinth within Greece and at that time had high hopes of eventually ending up in Spain. We hear all over the place about how Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's very keen to find this new place to preach the gospel. Therefore, one of his big picture motives for uh, building relationships with this church in Rome was that he wanted, in part, to establish Rome as a base to take him, uh, to take him on, the, on the gospel journey out to Spain on his next missionary phase. See, this letter was written in AD 57, which would have meant that Paul would have been preaching the gospel for about 25 years. He has brought about churches and Christian communities all over the eastern part of the Mediterranean and is now looking to the new frontier of gospel ministry in the Gentile communities in Spain. And so Rome, having already been a place where Paul wanted to come and to encourage it had a part to play in that bigger vision to see the known world come to faith in Jesus. So who were the church in Rome? The church in Rome was made up of both Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. We see in Acts chapter 2 verse 10 the list of all that were present at Pentecost. The, the visitors from Rome who took back the good news with them, back to Rome and established communities there. However, after this event in Acts, the lives of the Jewish Christians were majorly disrupted when in AD 39, Emperor Claudius evicted the Jews because of the disputes they were having. Five years later, after that, AD 44, I think, um, when Claudius had died, they, they eventually came back and all these uh, Jews as well as Jewish Christians returned to their communities. And, but the Jewish Christians were very concerned because the communities that were there before, the ones that they had left, looked remarkably different to the ones that they returned to. Primarily because all the leaders um, that were now Gentile Christians, those that had not held on to some of the, um, the customs that the Jewish Christians were, uh, had held on to. So this is the, the situation that Paul is writing into. His aim is, uh, by presenting a comprehensive account of the gospel, was also in part to unify the church. Paul wants them and us to understand the gospel in all its fullness. His letter is an attempt to weave this rich tapestry of the history of salvation together in order that we might see clearly God's plan throughout the whole of time. 
It's that we might, be, might see it, might experience it, might understand the story of the gospel. So now that we kind of zoomed out and had a look at that context, hopefully you will have all hit bingo at some point, we now look at what the passage is looking at. So uh, verses uh, 1 to 17. This passage is all about Paul in many ways, but at the same time, none of it is about Paul. But the way I've broken it down is uh, that there's three things that you want to consider. The passage tells us about Paul's call, his purpose, and his message. So do turn in your Bibles. Um, Verses 1 to 7, we look at Paul's call. As with most letters in the New Testament, Paul gives us a welcome introduction. This custom was more than just a a simple dear sir or madam to whoever it may concern. Paul was able to describe in this section who he really is and also who Jesus is. Verse 1, straight off the bat, Paul is a servant of Christ. This description of a a servant straight away is reminiscent of the Old Testament title, uh, Servant of the Lord. They're kind of reference to figures like uh, Moses or, or David. See, for Jewish readers, this would have been important. Uh, Paul is saying that whilst he is, uh, he's saying all these things while speaking their language, speaking to their hearts in order to have their ears open to his wider message. Paul's call to be an apostle comes second to his life-defining description as being a servant of Christ. See, being an apostle was pretty much what Paul is known for. So it is no uh, mistake that that comes second. An apostle was what he was called to be, but a servant of Jesus was who he was. Who he was established what he was called to do. And after saying this, he defines and clarifies what he means by the gospel of God. It might be silly to us to do this, but in everything we must be clear about what we are doing in order to do it. If someone's an accountant and doesn't know, know anything about accounting, that's an issue. If someone is a teacher, they will need to know things about teaching. In the same way, in both big and small ways, Paul, throughout the whole of Romans, does this. He makes clear the gospel in order to make actual Christians. In other words, to be a Christian, you have to know the gospel. And so here, Paul exposes the the root system of the gospel, which is the Old Testament. The good news is not something um, individual, something separate, something new, but is a, a continuation of God's salvation plan throughout history. Therefore, in this uh, small segment, uh, Paul is broadening our understanding of Scripture. Verses 3 and 4 tells us of who Jesus really is, fully man and fully God. Jesus was like you and I and are in our humanity, and yet he was complete in his divinity. 
He was a descendant of David and yet resurrected from the dead and called a son of God. In one simple sentence, Paul summarizes that fundamental tenet of our faith. God understands our pain, our struggles. He cares and loves you enough to embody that reality. He's not sitting up there, up in the clouds, unknowing of your experience, but instead brought himself down as a servant for the sake of us. He bled, he died in the same way that we all do, for our sakes, so that we may not suffer the consequence of our sin, but rather raise up to life just as he did. So that's Paul's call from 1 to 7. Now, uh, 8 to 15, we see Paul's purpose. He starts this segment with, with an encouragement. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported over all the world. The known world, that is, the, the Roman Empire, parts of um, Asia and the Middle East, he makes them feel known both by him and, and by all the church. Their lives are seen for what they truly are, which is faith-filled. We also see Paul is praying for the, the church in Rome in verse 10. He's praying that he'd be able to see them, having, having tried before, but obviously not succeeding. He's clearly got a lot of uh, making up to do, as it's clear that he's kind of produced some form of grief for not going earlier. And we read that he wants to go to Rome. He wants to go because he wants to give them some spiritual gift that will make them strong. In verse 11, we don't exactly know what this spiritual gift is, but we know that through this gift, it'll build up faith for everyone. That said in verse 12, that, that he expects to grow in faith as well through this visit. All that said, in verse 15, it shows his purpose. His purpose is to preach. See, all the good news that he knows and understands, all that he's experienced in life and, and, and seeing life uh, and God move through other people's lives, that is the good news. And that's the good news that he has been, uh, his purpose is to preach. Specifically, he says, he's been commissioned to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, to all Gentile people. God has chosen someone that embodied the blend of both Jewish heritage and culture and put them in a place of, of mission to the Gentile. He was a Pharisee and yet knew the mind of the Gentiles so intimately throughout the known world, so that he could do mission to them. God clearly chose uh, the perfect man for the job in bringing unity to the church in Rome. And lastly, we look at the message that Paul has to offer in verses 16 and 17. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. It is, at, it is this point that he, he stands on in the rest of the letter. 
in a time where shame and honour were of paramount importance to one's social standing and quality of life, Paul rejects the notion that we as Christians have anything to be ashamed about the gospel, regardless of what other people may say. For what is better than knowing the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes? See, his, his heart, his mind, and in his life, he is totally being transformed by God. He has been saved, rescued, redeemed, justified, reconciled with God, forgiven. And crucially, he's been made righteous before God. So in this passage, what does it say about being saved? How are people saved? Verse 17 tells us, uh, through righteousness, or to simply put it, uh, to be made right in the eyes of God, declared right by God. Paul doesn't explain this righteousness because he's assuming that the people that are hearing this message knows, knows the background, knows the context of what he says when he says righteousness. But for us, we may need to dig a little, little deeper. See, the, the Old Testament refers to righteousness from God about 48 times. It's written in the context of God's justice in Psalm 50, God's faithfulness in Psalm 31, and God's salvation in Isaiah 51. And it's most likely that last meaning, God's salvation, that Paul is leaning on here, that is the context when he says God's righteousness. He's meaning God's salvation. And the point that we all need to know and all need to understand is that Paul is telling us that this righteousness only comes through faith. See, we're, only, we're, we're being introduced to this idea of justification by faith, this big uh, doctrine that lots of people love to know lots about but can feel quite scary at times justification by faith is the truth that we are justified that we are made right before God through Jesus through his death and resurrection as we turn to him in faith through the gospel, God unleashes mighty power to change people in their relationship with him before him. He declares us innocent before him, removing the barrier of sin that exists between us. See, by faith, God is willing to accept us as his own son or daughter. We are accepted as we are. Not that we might remain as we are, but that God embraces us as we are, coming back to him. See, if you, if you struggle to think of yourself as worthy, then take hold of this truth today. You have been accepted by God, justified. You've been made righteous in his eyes. And the only thing that we would ever need to do is turn to him, accept him in our hearts. See, before you did anything, 
but simply in your faith through him, our Father in heaven looks at us, loves us, delights in us, and accepts us. But because of Jesus, our relationship has been changed. We have access to God the Father through him. We did nothing. We didn't earn it. But what he did on the cross, that's how we have it. This is the gospel. This is the good news. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, God made him who, uh, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. It doesn't mean that Jesus became sinful. It means that he was treated as our sins deserved. He was given the treatment that we deserve, but through Christ we are now clothed and covered by the righteousness of God. When God sees us, he doesn't look at our sin and our death and our, our wickedness. He looks at us and sees his son covered in white, made new, transformed. Not because of what you did, but because you've accepted by faith him into your heart. See, that is what the Christian faith is all about. Not about churches, not about songs we sing, what we wear, what I do or say. It's definitely not about me, and it's not about you. It's about what God has done for us. That is the good news. That is the purpose. That is the message. Lots of people in your life will tell you, uh, will try and give you good advice about what you should do. But the gospel is good news, not because of what you should do, but what God has done. So what is our response to that amazing truth? Twofold. And I hope it, it should be obvious. One is to give thanks we thank God. It's why, we, it's why all of our services include something of thanks. We should maintain this presence of wonder and awe in our lives, knowing that we did not earn nor deserve anything, but that we are accepted, wholly loved. In our worship, we should remember that fact. And secondly, our response is to share this gospel. Paul may have been called, but he's not the only person that God's ever asked to go out and make disciples. I think that's all of us. To help people understand that God has intervened in history to heal and restore and to make right and redeem the people that he loves. He has come and done it. We are not worthy. And yet uh, he's given us this precious gift to tell other people about. Through him, you are made worthy. You are given something to give others. We receive his righteousness and it is our duty to tell the world. Because this world needs good news 
yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. I hope the technology will stay with us. I'm just going to invite us all to have a time to kind of soak in some of these things that I've said. Not because I've said them, but because God has worked powerfully through Scripture, through Paul, to tell us something of his heart. And so I, I, I ask you, maybe we can stand together to maybe just find a, a place, a posture towards God, whether in your heart, with your eyes closed, with your arms out, whatever it looks like. To use this time to pray, to seek God. To search your heart. 